Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I am joined by Derek Healy and Justin Bowie to look at the latest in Scottish politics and how the decisions in Parliament affect you. We've got a succession vibe going this week. A new hire as First Minister Hamza Yousaf takes on a new chief advisor. He's a fascinating background. Uh, this is Kevin Pringle we're talking about here. Derek's been chatting to a former Labour MSP, Neil Findlay, who's got something to say about the party's resurgence and prospects, what might happen under Sir Keir Starmer at UK level and Anas Sarwar in Holyrood as they go up in the polls. Neil was on the Corbyn wing of Labour politics before he left and made for an interesting presence in the Scottish Parliament. He's got a book coming out too, which promises to reveal a bit more about what it's really like on the inside. But starting with the SNP, we've had another week of moving and shaking in the background. I mentioned the new advisor, Kevin Pringle. He's been in the game since about 1989, when SNP success and a referendum were just pipe dreams, really. Um, pretty much laughed at by the mainstream. No one um, elected at the time would have probably believed you if you said that in 2014 there would have been uh, such a high level watermark for the nationalists. Uh, Kevin Pringle ended up playing a big part in the success under Alex Salmond to that um, success in 2011 when he won a majority. So much for a parliament which Labour thought might kill nationalism stone dead. Kevin then oversaw a lot of the strategy which took them to the 2014 referendum and to the brink of independence. However, anyone listening to this in Scotland and likely the rest of the UK will know the SNP has had its troubles recently. Nicola Sturgeon got tied up in horrible knots over some domestic policy, including gender reform. There was, of course, the Salmon Court case, the destruction of their political friendship, and then a Tory UK government which steadfastly refuses to allow a second referendum on independence. A police investigation into SNP finances led to the questioning of the party treasurer, and Peter Murrell, the now ex-SNP chief executive, who is also married to Miss Sturgeon. So what do we make of this new hire? It looks like a vote of confidence in Hamza Yousaf, but it's also a sign perhaps that no one else was around to take on the big job. What's what's your take on this, Justin? It's a really interesting hire. I mean, I think the, f the first thing is Hamza Yousaf is quite clearly looking to experience here. So as you allude to, Kevin has been in the game a long time. He knows how this works. And I mean, Hamza Yousaf is obviously, you know, an experienced minister, but, you know, he's very new to the job. It's, you know, a big challenge for him. So it's looking to the past in some ways and thinking, well, here's somebody who has a proven track record in their involvement with the party. It's interesting as well, because as I'm, you know, sure people will be aware, um, Kevin has questioned a little bit things like, you know, the, the gender ID laws. He has also questioned the SNP Green Deal and how necessary that was. And these are things that have obviously massively split the SNP. There have been vocal minorities within the SNP who have been opposed to the Green Deal, for example, and who have heavily criticised the Greens. So there's perhaps a bit of reaching out from Hamza Yousaf there. You know, I think one of the criticisms when he became First Minister was that the Cabinet and the people close to him were all seen as, you know, very close immediate allies. Everybody very much agreed with each other. You know, Kate Forbes, for example, obviously was offered a post but went to the back benches. Mm -hmm. And yeah, those people in key posts, people like Shona Robeson and Neil Gray were people very close to Hamza. So perhaps in appointing someone like Kevin Pringle, there's maybe a sense of, well, here's somebody that's not necessarily going to entirely agree with everything that I say, but they have experience, they can put across alternative ideas, perhaps bounce ideas off each other a little bit as well. So, so yeah, I think it's a very interesting hire and it shows perhaps a, 
sort of different direction from Hamza Yusuf here. Yeah. As luck would have it, I interviewed Kevin Pringle last year on this very podcast. He was joining DC Thompson Room at the time in the capacity of a, as a columnist. Um, so we had a chat about the First Minister of the day, Nicholas Sturgeon. At that time, a referendum was still very much on the table and no one really knew what was about to happen. Um, so how, how did our political strategist fare? We listen back a little bit now to a brief clip, about two minutes long, where he talks succession just a year before it all hit the fan. It, it, it will happen when it's the right time. If you like, you know, there's no point in talking about a, a succession at this stage when it's not happening at this stage. Um, if you look at the kind of general period of of, of tenure, if you like, of SNP leaders, it's you know, generally it's been ten or so years. Uh, whether that was, you know, Alex Hammond had two, you know, uh, periods of, of of ten years, but his predecessors were about ten or. Or ten or so years. So, um, you know, I think this first minister's got a few years to go yet. Um, I think, unlike the SNP in the past, certainly the SNP before there was a Scottish Parliament, there were very, very few, if you like, professional politicians, elected politicians. Uh, the number of people to choose from was really quite narrow. Um, you know, when Alex Salmond was elected as leader the first time around, then the two candidates comprised what half of the SNP's then Westminster group. Um, such was the, you know, small number of elected politicians that the SNP used to have. It's different now. You know, there's very, very large, obviously, parliamentary groups uh, at Holyrood and at Westminster. So I think come the time, and this is not the time, uh, to paraphrase somebody, <laughs> this is not the time. But the, 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 you know, this isn't the time for a, a, another SNP leader because I think this this one, this first minister's got got some years to run. But but given that pool, if you like, of talent around about her, and given that very large number of elected politicians uh, that can provide the choice of candidates when the time comes, then I don't, you know, I think the point being there will, there will be a, a good choice to be had okay. in a way that you know was less the case, and certainly in decades gone by. There you go, there's Kevin Pringle. That's the man who's now the brains behind Hamza Yousaf as far as political strategy goes. He was he was not too far off um, the the prediction of how long an SNP leader generally has in office, but he was a bit a bit short. Um, he still thought that Nicola Sturgeon had a few years left in her. He clearly didn't realise what was about to happen. Um, but he, of course, did point to some talent that he sees around Nicola Sturgeon and, of course, he's now got Hamza Yousaf to, to advise. What's your view? Do you think that, um, do you think Kevin's been sharpened up enough there? Does he know what to expect next? Well, I suppose, to be fair to Kevin, very few of us saw the resignation of Nicola Sturgeon coming. I mean, last year, Nicola Sturgeon was saying she had no plans to go as well. And I, I think that informed yeah. everyone's view in that regard. I mean, politics is hard to predict. It's, it's hard to see what will come next. But I think it was interesting hearing... Kevin's confidence in the people around Nicola Sturgeon. You know, when Nicola Sturgeon stepped down, it was often seen as, well, who's going to take over? Is there a figure who can really step into that void? There were a lot of people who said no. There's nobody with the same profile, nobody with the same talent as Nicola Sturgeon. But clearly, Kevin kind of saw it differently. And that's, you know, when at the time, there was no, if, if he didn't think there was a 
ideal person to take over, he could have just said that. So yeah. clearly, whether it was Hamza Yousaf or whether it was somebody else who he would have seen as Nicola Sturgeon's successor, clearly he perhaps had a bit more faith in the people within the party than some other people did. Yeah, he's got a, a lot more to say in that episode. Um, it was about a 10-minute chat and he's on the tough working life of a first minister, the transition from the Alex Salmond era to the Nicola Sturgeon era and the legacy that Nicola Sturgeon might be leaving um, although that legacy is now um, being unpicked with some speed I think I'm correct in sort of placing Kevin on a more gradualist sort of independent scale of campaigning he talks a lot about the need to hold on to the gains of devolution he speaks about Gordon Brown has pragmatic things to say about supporting Labour into a UK government on independence this was interesting though last May he was still thinking that it will take place this parliamentary session. I mean, what are the chances of that now, do you think, Justin? I mean, so much water's under the bridge. Almost now. I mean, I think the Supreme Court um, ruling last November sort of killed it for now in terms of the SNP actually having a viable path to a referendum. The problem now is obviously SNP support has fallen a bit. Labour support is now up in the polls, so it looks like Labour are likely to get a majority at the next Westminster election, perhaps. If that happens, they I mean, they keep on saying they won't do a deal with the SNP, but if they get a majority, it's, it's academic anyway. They don't even need to worry about that. And while support for independence is still you know relatively strong, there's some evidence that there's people who maybe aren't going to vote SNP, but will still support the principle of independence. The problem is if you if your pro-independence party isn't faring well in elections, or I say faring well, I'm sure that you know the SNP's result will be better than it would have been back in the day at Westminster election, but if they lose seats to Labour, I think it just further undermines that push for a referendum. So yeah, I don't see that happening in this parliamentary term at all. Yeah, um, I wonder as well if Kevin Pringle had been advising Nicola Sturgeon at that point, would they have done the same thing that they did with the Supreme Court? I know not everyone was very pleased with that. And of course, they ended up talking in that. They were moved into a position where they started just talking about um, the next general election being an independence election. Who knows what uh, Kim Pringle will, will have to say on that. But uh, we're about to find out. But if, you, if you're interested in more of what he's got to say about uh, political views that's quite fortunate of course that he did write a weekly column for the courier for best part of a year there um which i raked over for a wee piece which uh, you can read on our politics pages where he goes goes into more detail with his own views about uh the rights and wrongs of the gender id reforms the smp green deal which shouldn't be written in stone he says and plenty more um uh, besides it's, uh, some interesting thoughts there if you want to get an idea of how Hamza is now being advised. It's not the only change in the SNP. Uh, Last week, um, we lost our transport minister, Kevin Stewart. He put out a statement saying mental health problems were the reason, which is an unusually frank and and specific thing to say for a government minister, I thought. I don't know much more than that because he hasn't spoken further about it. But in the day job, that's been a difficult brief. And right now we've got transport problems, ferries, roads, they're, they're all huge tempted to say crisis but it does feel that way now so we watch this space for the new hire justin what do you i mean the the next transport minister who as we speak is not yet named who's that going to be and what kind of a a role is that to fill well yeah it's it's a tough tough job it's hard to predict who will get it i mean it it could be it could be somebody in the back benches who is either returns to government or you know somebody crack at government well you never know i mean i suppose he's he's up north and he'll certainly have a a keen handle on things like A9 dueling, but um, I imagine that might be slightly unlikely given um, his recent criticisms of his own party. Be fun though. But yeah, it's, it's a, yeah it, would, it would be a fascinating choice, but it, that's a really, really difficult job that, I mean, just, just the day before Kevin Stewart stepped down, 
you know, we were covering, you know, the, the ferry protests which took place over the weekend in South Uist. And, you know, islanders are absolutely furious about this at the moment. I mean, the turnout for a relatively small island, the turnout was absolutely massive. You know, you're talking at least a quarter of the island mm-hmm. was turning out to that. And to be fair to Kevin Stewart, you know, he'd visited South Uist multiple times. He, he certainly was aware of the problem. You know, the issue is it's, it's one thing to be aware of a problem and one thing to be aware that something needs fixed. It's another thing to then actually fix it. So... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the ferries is just one thing, you know, you've got, the ferries has multiple components to it anyway, and then road dueling is, is obviously massive as well. It's it's not come up for a while, but, you know, last year we had lots of train strikes, you know, the running of Scotrail is now under that brief as well. So, yeah, there are so many things that whoever takes on that brief will have a tough time dealing with, so I don't envy whoever does yeah. it, but... Somebody may fancy a challenge and somebody ambitious may see it as an opportunity. To well, that's a challenge. That's a difficult role. Understatement of the year. <laughs> yeah, well, lastly, there was another another um, uh, politician on the way out, slightly more slowly than uh, Kevin Stewart, though. Ian Blackford, the former SNP Westminster leader, MSP in the Highlands, he's he's not going to stand at the next general election. Has he just weighed up the likelihood of staying? Does he, you know, he was basically deposed by Stephen Flynn. He's just had enough, do you think? Quite possibly. I mean, you know, he was leader for five years, quite quite a long time. Obviously, you know, stepping down may not entirely been what he wanted to do at this time. But, you know, he's been in Westminster for about eight years now, but he's obviously was very active within the SNP before then. So even before his formal political career, you know, when he was in, in the finance industry, he's been involved in politics for a long time. And, you know, he may just think now now's the right time. The Lib Dems have been trying to say that he's you know, running scared. They have quite a strong candidate, local businessman Angus MacDonald, running in that seat. It was obviously their seat before Ian Blackford won it. The SNP won it quite comfortably at the last election. You know, it's, it's a big gap for the Lib Dems to make up. But given the SNP's slight slump in the polling and, you know, the sort of tactical voting factor, they do seem quite confident that they can give the seat a good tilt. But I'm not sure that's exactly just you know, why Ian Blackford has stepped down. I'm sure that if he wanted to continue, he would potentially, you know, realise that challenge. But I think just, you know... T- the next election, we're not entirely sure when it's going to be yet. We still could be a good, you know, 18 months or so. And he may be thinking if he doesn't fancy another whole term, which takes him to, you know, 2029, 20, 2030, 20, that it's better better to do that now than to risk a by-election when, you know, a by-election could be something that there's a bigger risk of losing the seat for the party. Indeed. God grant me the confidence of a Liberal Democrat election candidate. <laughs> They're always winning here. Um Okay, well, enough enough on the SNP. We're, we'll switch over to Labour now, where they're obviously having a bit of a bounce in the polls. Um, there was one just a couple of days before we went here. We've not gone into that uh, this time. Um, it was a bit eccentric in places. It had Labour winning in Tory-held seats in Aberdeenshire, which maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm misreading things here, but I honestly cannot see that happening. Um, but the weighting of this uh, poll somewhere along the line has has certainly um, detected a big groundswell in support of uh, a Keir Starmer government, and that seems to be being applied to various seats. But um, given all that, we thought, well, let's speak to someone who's who's been there, been inside the tent, and maybe is a, a critical. I was going to say critical friend, but I'm not sure the friend bit is is uh, it's doing a bit of lift in there. But former Lothian's MSP Neil Finlay um, was in touch. He's got a He's got a book coming out. Um, so Derek Healy had a wee chat with him before we recorded this today um, about his time in Labour at Holyrood. Uh, his first answer to Derek was about the Tory downturn and a potential Starmer victory. I take great enjoyment in seeing the Tory demise. And, uh, you know, what depresses me greatly 
is the way in which Starmer um, is acting. He came in with a whole series of pledges saying that he would continue with economic, much of the economic policy, many of the pledges that Corbyn put forward, and a lot of people believed him. Um, I wasn't too sure myself, uh, but people believed him. He said the right things, he played the game, and then immediately he came in and he started to rip them up. And what's most depressing at the moment is that we're seeing... Uh, the Labour Party um, um, becoming more politically sectarian by the day, uh, blocking candidates who, you know, uh, or blocking and deselecting candidates who who they don't like, um, fixing the rules, um, manipulating the voting system. I mean, it's uh, when you can't um, when you can't defeat people by legitimate means, then they resort to illegitimate means, and 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 it's absolutely disgraceful what's going on. However, I will take great pleasure to see uh, the Tories um, ejected from office. My reservation is, will it make any difference? And, uh, you know, part of Starmer's strategy is not to announce policy, so he can't be attacked for it. Um, but he will have to at some point. And if that comes forward with an agenda that shows very little change, then, you know, what's the point, really? Do you believe some of those sort of dirty tricks, let's call them that, in terms of candidacies and things like that. Is that going on in Scotland as well, do you believe? Oh, absolutely it is. I mean, <coughs> the attacks that I sat through week in, week out in the Scottish Parliament upon Richard Leonard, the undermining of him, the leaks to the press, leaks to the media, the briefings, the, the lies, the manipulation, the, uh, the situations... Uh, to bring him down, to undermine him, um, was followed up by when um, Anna Sarwar took over, um, the party moving into a far more ruthless position. In fact, a position, I think, that was one of the failings of uh, Corbyn and Leonard and that they were not ruthless enough in dealing with internal political uh, opponents. But the, certainly the right wing of the Labour Party is absolutely ruthless. And, uh, you know, at the moment, Jackie Bailey is heading up the um, selection process for um, parliamentary candidates. We've already seen people like Matt Kerr, councillor in Glasgow, who actually became came within eight points of uh, becoming deputy leader of the Labour Party in Scotland, being stopped from being a candidate. We... Uh, we've seen the candidate Im effectively imposed in the Rutherglen for the by-election when much stronger local candidates or people with a connection to the constituency were available. Um, so, yeah, it's absolutely going on in Scotland. There is, I cannot think of a single person yet who could be associated with the left or even moderate left who has been selected as a candidate. I mean, it sounds like you're saying there that it was a... You know, and I know this was discussed at the time, but a plot basically to Richard Leonard out. Who who do you believe was involved in that? Look, there was a. I mean, from from before he was even elected, there was a there was moves to uh, uh, undermine him. I mean, on the day he was <laughs> on the day he was named as the Scottish Labour leader, um, they uh, announced that Kezia Dugdale, Dugdale was going into the bloody jungle. So uh, you know that was all perfectly timed to undermine his start as a. Labour leader, and then it just continued from them. I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, um, both Jeremy and Richard made massive mistakes. They would be the first to admit they made huge mistakes. Um, however, they were under pressure like no one has been before, um, outrageous pressure. And that continued throughout their tenure.
where they were attacked and undermined and briefed against and uh, yeah, it, it was pretty scandalous behaviour. Do you believe, is he the man to win back um, or to bring Labour back to government at the Scottish Parliament? Can he do that? Well, um, like Starmer, um, both are benefiting from how dreadful the governing party is. I mean, part of the despair in the title of my book is just how badly we're being governed at the moment. If you look in every corner of public services, we have a crisis or disaster on our hand. I mean, my wife and daughter both work in the NHS, the pressures that they are under, the waiting times, the understaffing of um, key services, if you look in housing, if you look in the councils are almost at a level where the only thing they'll provide is statutory services. I mean, every corner, we can't even sort out how to return ginger bottles. I mean, how do we get to this stage where just almost everything that we touch is just so badly done? And uh, so, so Labour is benefiting from that. I am, certainly for Starmer's uh, case, I mean, I think, I've said, I think he's got the personality of a, a house brick and, uh, and the charisma of one as well. Um, so he's he, he's benefiting not from being, you know, a great leader or having dynamic policies. He's benefiting from the Tories just being completely and utterly tainted and, you know, back to the toxic Tory party. Um, and there's a, there's some there's a bit of that in Scotland as well. The tragedy of the last um, twenty years for Labour or fifteen years for Labour is that they could have been in a far better position all along had they had a credible position in the constitution. And uh, I tried and pleaded and worked with others to try and move Labour into a, to have a credible position in the constitution uh, that is just simply critical to even getting a hearing in Scotland. Uh, uh, and and they never did that, uh, and they still are wedded to a, a position that just to me is not credible. For for you, what would be a credible position? What would that look like? Well, I've I've long argued that we need a third option on the ballot paper, a, an option that's um, uh, uh, that's a, a further devolution, a, a much more. Uh, much more devolved power. My position is that we should devolve all powers to Scotland unless there's an overwhelming reason not to devolve some powers. And there are an over, overwhelming reasons not to devolve some. Um, but but largely, my, I, I think we should be devolving as much power as possible. And that doesn't stop at Holyrood. It should go to communities and local government and all the rest of it. So had, if Labour had that position or a similar position, uh, in the absence of a better term for it, a type of Devo Max type position, and that was on the ballot as a third option. Uh, I believe that would win, and it would win pretty handsomely because people uh, don't want to be forced into, you know, a, a yes/no vote. I think most people um, believe that um, there is a, a, another way of doing things, and I don't. I don't put this forward as a tactic to stifle devolution. I put this forward because I think it's the best option for Scotland. That for. The overwhelming number of issues we deal with them in Scotland or at local a local level, but there are a number of issues that we it's just natural to share and cooperate and work across the UK. For example, you know we're a small island nation. Why would you create an internal border in a small island nation? Why would you have another border agency in a small island nation, creating all that bureaucracy to set that up again? Now that doesn't mean that within 
um, any arrangement like that that you can't have different migration uh, policies. You can. Other countries have that. So uh, there can be flexibility within that. But there are many other examples of policies that should lie either locally or some that may lie at a kind of UK level. I think there's always that sort of autopsy, isn't there, after an election where people talk about you know, why so many former Labour voters are voting SNP, and I think they're believed to be, you know, those are the folk most likely to come back to Labour. Do you think Do you think that's why? Is it because this constitutional question hasn't been addressed in that way? Yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, during the Corbyn period, though, we, we tried to move, uh, uh, move towards those voters because all the polling told us that the people most likely to come back to Labour were former Labour voters who now vote SNP. Uh, and yet, People in the the union, the, the, the right of the party and the sort of hard unionists within the party uh, ignored that advice repeatedly and wanted to go over go for sorry a smaller a very small number of former Labour voters who now vote Tory because of the union, and that was just that I mean it was I can't remember the numbers it was something like sixty one uh, difference in the numbers who were more likely to come back to us. And there was nothing would move them from that position. It was crazy, no matter how much we tried. And um, Jeremy Corbyn actually um, uh, recruited a, 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 a someone to write a, a very uh, lengthy and uh, comprehensive report on how to reform the UK constitution. It was one of the most... Uh, James Mitchell, Professor James Mitchell at Edinburgh University, said it's one of the best pieces of work he's seen in a very long time from any political party on the constitution. And when Stammer came in, he got the biggest uh, JCB out and buried the report as deeply as he possibly could. Um, but I think in terms of how things are going across the UK, if we see things like demands in the North East and in the North West and in Liverpool and Manchester and, and London, the demand is for more powers, Wales as well, and, uh, uh, and for a more... Um, you know, for much further devolved settlement. And I, I think that's the direction of travel uh, that we're going in. From your time, I mean, I realise this might be different now, but from your time, what were relations like between kind of the party at Westminster and the Scottish Parliament? Because I know that, for example, on drug policy, we covered this recently, some of the difficulties that the group at Hollywood had just trying to get an opinion from, um, if, if it, it was at that stage, on, on what her thoughts were on introducing overdose prevention centres. So, from, from your experience, what, what is that dynamic like? Um, the, the, the dynamic when, well, so it depends who, it, also, it depends who leads. The dynamic between when Richard Leonard and Jeremy Corbyn were, were leader, between the leaders and Mark Drakeford was, was much closer because politically they were far more aligned. Um, when Kezia Dugdale was leader, I mean, uh, they wouldn't allow John McDonnell, who was the Shadow Chancellor, to even speak at the Labour, Scottish Labour Conference. It was absolutely... Absurd. Um, uh, I think probably uh, now um, Sarwar and um, uh, Starmer are probably much more aligned politically. However, you know, we see differences emerge there. I mean, Star, uh, Sarwar, uh, Anna Sarwar rightly has um, said he will be on picket lines supporting, uh, you know, striking workers, um, whereas Starmer has told his shadow team to stay well away from picket lines. So there are differences uh, emerging um, and uh, uh, I, I, I suspect 
um, we, relations will be uh, somewhat tense. I mean, only recently we've seen the uh, uh, issue of North Sea oil become a, a real bone of contention where, you know, Starmer has said no further oil exploration. And, uh, you know, you've had some MSPs reportedly saying, well, this is not, this is, how, how can we, how can we do this? How we, how can we possibly attract people in the northeast when we're basically shutting down their industry? So there are clearly tensions there as well. Uh, and these tensions exist in all parties. <laughs> I mean, there's certainly tensions, be, tensions between the uh, SNP Westminster Group and Holyrood and uh, and within the Tories and others as well. There's a slightly abridged version of the, the interview there. It's a nice big long chat, uh, lots of stuff to, to chew over really about the way Labour's worked in the past and the way that uh, the, the party might have some success under Nas Sarwar and Keir Starmer, but it's always interesting to hear from someone who's been there in the background and knows how things can get a little bit more tricky behind the scenes. His book, Hope and Despair, goes into more detail about his thoughts on a wider range of topics like the COVID crisis, which is a whole story for another day uh, and something that we'll be, we will be looking at uh, in a lot more detail down the line, especially as the inquiry comes along. He's incredibly c- critical there. But other than that, Justin, sounds like Neil had a great time in Hollywood. Yeah, I thought that was uh, that was an absolutely fascinating interview. I mean, uh, yeah, he, he's certainly not happy with the current state of the Labour Party, and I thought it was interesting that you know Labour seemed really optimistic in the moment. You know, as I was saying earlier on, it looks like they will probably win a majority at the next election. But Neil's take is often obviously a bit more. Well, you know, anybody could beat this Tory party. Now, I suppose Keir Starmer and Anna Sarwar will argue that you know Jeremy Corbyn was up against Boris Johnson, who was not the most popular politician, and, you know, he fought there. And I thought it was really interesting when he talked about that sort of ruthlessness on either side of the party where, you know, we've seen that, you know, Labour really want to have a strong, firm control over who's standing in certain seats, and that has become a bone of contention. But it does seem like, you know, Keir Starmer has maybe taken more of a stance of, well, I want a party that's solidly unified behind me at every level. And I suppose especially in Scotland, you know, trying to win back those Scottish seats is going to be a key thing for Labour. And... I suppose the last thing Labour want in Scotland is, you know, they do well in an election, but half of those MPs aren't really fans of Keir Starmer and Scotland then becomes a bit of a kind of hotbed of, you know, dissent and criticism. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, but yeah, really fascinating chat. And I think it's it's illuminating to hear, you know, what Labour were like at the time and the difficulties that Richard Leonard faced as leader before, you know, Anna Sarber took over. Okay, well, that's it for this week. Thanks to Justin Bowie, Derek Healy, guest Neil Finlay, producer Caroline White, and of course, to you for listening. We'll be back next week, but until then, pick up a paper or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed.